back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan. We have golf, at least. We, Canadians, we, golf's our game now. Don't worry about us not being in the Stanley Cup final. It's good. It's good. We got golf's our game. We might see the end of some sports this week. Uh, sadly, it looks like NBA playoffs wrapping up, NHL playoffs wrapping up. Then it's silly season, as they say. Things get a little funky mm. off season. The draft coming up. Awards being handed out. Things could get interesting for us for the next couple weeks still. Could we be fun. Be all right. Be all right. Well, hopefully uh, tomorrow, if it's the end, we get a big celebration on home ice for the Vegas Golden Knights. Frank Cervelli, NHL insider and president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com, joins us this morning. Frank, is it the end of the line tomorrow night? Kind of feels like it, guys, doesn't it? Just sadly. I want yeah. more hockey, but it doesn't seem like we're getting it. No, and it's uh, it's unfortunate for the Florida Panthers just really how banged up they are. Like, not to say it's not a crutch or an excuse for a team that had a 10-day layoff to be beset with the injuries that they have, not just Matthew Kachuk, but Ekblad doesn't look like himself. Montour obviously missing loose to Ryan. And it, it's, it seems like it's piling up for that team that really needed to be at full strength, I think, to really go toe-to-toe with the Golden Knights. Yeah, and maybe, I mean, it doesn't pile up for everyone per se. Maybe it's not really piling up for the Vegas Golden Knights as much, but if you were a thinner team already and it starts to pile up and you have the injuries, maybe you get exposed just a little bit more, but they are finding ways to keep things tight. I mean, if you're clinging to positive silver linings, if there's something Paul Maurice is banging the drum on, at least for game five in an effort to take it back home for game six, what do you think he'd be underlining and underscoring? One of the big things for me that I really liked for them in in games three and four was they kind of settled in and settled down a bit. Less interest in after the whistle stuff, although we did see it right at the end of the game in game four. Um, But the biggest thing for me has been how cleanly they've been able to get out of their zone compared to the first few games. Um, It's almost like they had a pretty significant adjustment in terms of their approach. And I think it's Unfortunately for them, it took them a while to make the adjustment. This might have been a bit of a different series because I think the Golden Knights have done a really good job of confusing Florida. If you watch the first couple games, they were relentless against Mark Stahl whenever he was on the ice, dumping it in, just absolutely hammering him and his D partner. And then it was really an interesting tactical approach because then they would sit back with other guys, Montour and Ekblad, in a 1-3-1. And those guys, they, they were so used to playing under duress all playoffs long, they didn't know what to do when they had more time and space. For a team that likes to flip the puck out and run under it, um, they really had to, to change. And they've been better, um, and it's, it's solved a lot of their issues, but it's almost too little too late. That's an interesting point because I think Lee fans right now would be like still thinking, how does a team with Mark Stahl in a second pairing beat us? Like, especially the nerds, the analytical people who are looking at Mark Stahl as <laughs> someone who was done five years ago, right? Like, and there's, it's like, it's because a team like Toronto kind of allows him to be productive at times. And I don't want to make this a Toronto discussion. So I will veer it back in the direction of the Vegas Golden Knights. And in that, like, yeah, it's copycat season, right? It's time to have, like, takeaways from uh, almost crowning a champion. And if you're looking at takeaways or learnings or or things that you should take about this run from this team, like, what does it say about what successful teams need to do in the Stanley Cup playoffs 
in particular? Well, for the Golden Knights' perspective, there's a clear advantage in speed. They've utilized that in a significant way. They've got size on their back end. That would be the second point. They've got heft. Um, My colleague on our DFO Rundown podcast, Jason Greger, has been saying for years, look at all of the Stanley Cup champions. They pretty much all have size on their back end. And so that's been significant. Um, a real nice advantage for Vegas. And I think what's what's really fascinating when you consider where this team is and how they've been the best team throughout this playoffs, they missed the playoffs last year. I had a buddy on my feed the other day popped up. He was with Jack Eichel in Hawaii this time last year, this <laughs> week last year. Nice. Like that, like think about how how different the situation is 12 months from now from, from, uh, from it's, it's to think that we were talking about firing their general manager and Kelly McCrimmon. They changed their coach and they didn't really make significant roster changes. In fact, they went into the season with more questions in goal than answers. And yet here they are in the Stanley cup final. And I bet you there's a ton of teams that are sitting here on this Monday morning that are, that are saying, that could have been us. We could have been the Vegas Golden Knights. The Edmonton Oilers are telling themselves that at this exact moment in time. The only problem with that is that every spring is quite literally littered with teams that think that could have been them, and it isn't. And I think it, it, what it does is it lulls you into a complacency that you think you don't need to make as many changes. Well, we're all going to grab onto things that like serve our arguments. Uh, and again, not to make this a leaf thing, but power of a coaching change, right? Like they had a good coach last year. They, they maybe just hit a wall with it. And Bruce Cassidy, you're talking about like really strategic tactics when it comes to forechecking, but also a very similar team and them just getting the best out of them. Decisiveness from a front office to make a change, even if it's just for incremental improvement. Like I can't really look past the Bruce Cassidy thing, uh, given his track record with really good teams and what they're doing right now in the Stanley Cup final. I think it's a really fair point. And I think Bruce Cassidy deserves a ton of credit because I do think that one of the big things that, you know, no one really said out loud was that Sheldon Keith was out coached in the second round. Um, and in some ways you could have even made the argument that he was in the first round too, um, based on the actual play in game. So look, um, I don't know what direction the Leafs are going down. It seems like Sheldon Keefe is going to be back. It seems like it's probably not going to be a lame duck season that my guess is if he is coming back, they'll find a way to extend him first. But honestly, every part of every facet of the operation should be up for discussion. If the Stanley Cup playoffs end tomorrow night, uh, seems like there's still a question about who, or at least a debate about who gets the Conn Smythe Trophy. Uh, if you were handing out votes, who would you be putting yours on? I am filling out a ballot, and I am a little bit up in the air in mm-hmm. terms of who's getting the number one spot. Um, it's Right now, it's a toss-up for me between Jack Eichel and Jonathan Marchessault. Uh, Marcia so has scored some incredibly clutch goals and went on an absolute tear. Uh, that said, he still 
is just tied with Leon Dreisaitl, amazingly enough, for a team that hasn't been playing for a month. Um, but Eichel, you know, you look at this Stanley Cup final, and it's been a really weird Stanley Cup final for him. He's missed um, a chunk of two games due to injury. So it's almost like there's a part of the game where you're you're kind of like longing for a little bit of, you know, more from him. Um, the friendly fire, of course, uh, getting hit in the in the head with the puck, and um, obviously the big hit from Matthew Kachuk earlier in the series that kind of took him out of the mix for a little bit. But he still has five points in four games, and it's not so much the points for me. It's not the assist. It's the fact that he's been incredibly impactful. Like when you watch Leighton games making significant plays, the two hundred foot. Um, game that that everyone seems to cling to like he's been a real difference maker at every point and I, I think if I if I were to you know you were to put a gun to my head at this exact moment in time I would be leaning towards Eichel but I know it's not in the MVP of the Stanley Cup final it's the MVP of the entire playoffs and I'm also wrestling with the idea of like Aiden Hill is putting together an incredible postseason and yet no one's really talking about him. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, uh, it, it seems like, it, yeah, you can make the argument against March or so. Uh, you can do it with Hill. You can do it with Eichel too. But it, it, like, is it like at the point where, hey, you have to put multiple names on the ballot and March or so is going to be second at bare minimum in everyone's mind? I, I, if you're trying to like handicap it, trying to figure out who is, it's going to be. I mean, it's definitely between those through those three. And I guess it depends on order. Uh, but I, Eichel is very interesting because he's undeniable, so impactful. Uh, and he's gone through, as you mentioned, he's missed time in the series and he's been banged up and he's kind of taking it on the chin just a little bit, but he's powering through and he's still powering this team. And I think that's very, very important for the success of this group. I wonder, like, there's also a little... By the way, Ailish would be all over this. Jack Eichel, last time I looked, was a somewhat long... She's she's literally getting her credit card. currently putting money (laughs) on him. Plus two thousand on some books, so yeah. thank you for that place. Yeah, yeah Marcheseau was a prohibitive favorite, I saw. And I but. think that might be the thing where it's just like, okay, he's on every ballot, so maybe he wins. But maybe Eichel just gets more first place votes. Who knows? Uh, it's <laughs> uh, but you do have a vote, and you're leaning maybe towards him though, so that's important. But I, I, I'm interested in your like perspective on his growth, his narrative arc, his story arc, because. I don't know what you thought about him five, three, three, five years ago, even beyond that. Like I didn't expect him in like very brief interaction I had with him to be kind of in the position he's in. And that's not really fair because that's also coupled in, in with what you're seeing on the ice, but him being the leader, a leader of a team that's going to win the Stanley cup. I don't know if I saw that five years ago. Is that something that's crossed your mind at all? Are you asking about Eichel or Marcheseau? Eichel. Eichel. Um, I, first off, I owe him a giant apology. Before these playoffs started, I think sometime in March, and the, you're gonna you're gonna laugh hysterically when I say this. I said Jack Eichel was the NHL's most disappointing ten million dollar skater. Mm-hmm. He heard you. And the reason I said skater was because Sergey Bobrovsky was the <laughs> world's most disappointing ten million dollar overall player in the NHL. And, and, that, and think, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's ridiculous how much both narratives have changed. Like, I think 
as soon as this cup final ends, Sergei Bobrovsky is going to go back to being an absolutely onerous contract for the Florida Panthers. But Eichel has, he's really changed my view of him. And I, and I think part of the reason for it is just go look at his numbers. Like you would think that for a $10 million guy, he's been a multi-time hundred point scorer and has all these sort of individual accomplishments and his numbers for the most part are really quite pedestrian for someone making that kind of money and has been making that kind of money for a long time. And I know that's a, a narrow prism in which to view him, but in the salary cap world, that's kind of really all we know is how do you look at someone by way of their cap hit? And then you watch really closely these last few months and you see someone that doesn't care um, in, in the sense of it doesn't bother him what people say, um, that he couldn't shake the stink of playing for the Buffalo Sabres. And then last year, finally he gets on this this good Vegas team where there's expectations and they don't make the playoffs. And you're like, well, what, how do you connect these two things? Even though he, he played pretty well, did any of their, you know, the way they fell back have to do with his arrival? How did that factor into it? And you look at how complete his game is and you say, well, this is a player that is a franchise changer. He's a star and, you know, good on the golden Knights for, making such a significant acquisition at a time when they didn't have cap space and they had to say goodbye to some really good players in order to get him and had to walk from some others based on their cap situation to get him. And you you smash all that together and you say, that's a team that had conviction on the player when with the neck injury and the uncertainty and all everything that surrounded it, it would have been easy to just shrug and say, let him be someone else's problem. And instead, here they are, one win away from the cup. Talking to Frank Saravelli of dailyfaceoff.com. Um, okay, so we'll probably have, uh, next time we talk to you on Monday, more time to recap the Vegas Golden Knights and Florida Panthers seasons. But let's move on to what's going on with the Ottawa Senators because we saw that a uh, withdrawal from maybe one of the top bidders, walking away in frustration. It looks like it's starting to get a bit embarrassing maybe for what's going on in Ottawa. What do you know uh, in terms of the, the withdrawal of their, the bid? Yeah, I don't know if embarrassing is the right term, but I can tell you that frustration is reaching a peak. Um, There's a lot of people that are disheartened with the process, and part of that is the bidders themselves. Like, they feel like they're being taken advantage of, that they're kind of constantly bidding against themselves. They don't understand where the process is at in terms of, We've submitted our bid. It's kind of like, you know, uh, to simplify it in the best terms possible, we've submitted our bid for the house. What do you mean we need to keep negotiating? Mm. Against who? And where does it end? So they've struggled with the lack of an end game. Um, And you see Steve Apostolopoulos and his group back out. And I'm kind of surprised that others haven't gotten to that point sooner because the reaction from Ryan Reynolds and his group, um, I the stuff that I heard behind the scenes and their 
thoughts on the process and the way that it played out were like frankly explosive like to the point where some of them were saying we will never do business with the nhl ever again that they didn't like the process and i don't know what else is going on behind the scenes because it's a tough thing to piece blame to are you does it go to the bankers does it go to the estate does it go to the nhl does the nhl have a preferred bidder in their own mind is it simply just about the cash you know, there's a lot of layers and nuance to it, and I, I don't. It's not easy to parse out, but I think that the easiest thing to say is, people have had enough. Like, Uncle, let's just declare a winner and move on. Hopefully, there'll still be some bids left to declare a winner at the end of all this. Somebody will own the Ottawa Senators. Um, since we spoke to you last, uh, Maple Leafs hired Shane Doan as some sort of role, either special assistant to the regional manager, special advisor. We don't really know exactly. Oh, he's an office fan. He got the giggle. Uh, why is Shane Doan a good fit for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, there's a trust factor that obviously exists between Brad Tree Living and Shane Doan going back to Tree Living's days in Arizona. I think there's a real interest and intrigue from Shane Doan to be back in a hockey ops role. That was the one thing that he was really missing from Arizona. You could be a you could be a figurehead, you could help out with business ops, you could shake hands and kiss babies in the Valley of the Sun to really help grow the brand and the franchise, but at the end of the day, he's still a hockey guy. And that was the one thing that was missing was his ability to impact the team from a hockey perspective. And so I think it was probably a little bit difficult for him to cut ties with the Coyotes specifically at this juncture, knowing what people might conflate that to or, or what that might be perceived as. But I think at the end of the day, it was really all about him being back in the hockey space and not anything else. And so to do it with a familiar face and someone that's been around the game in a lot of different roles since he hung up his skates um, is going to be some important perspective to have. And that's one thing about Brad Tree Living is you guys will come to learn in Toronto is very, he's very collaborative. He likes to talk things through. He likes to, you know, seek as many opinions as possible and to have someone that he can trust in Shane Doan to be there at a, at a moment's notice on a call, I think that's pretty important. <laughs> Sounds like uh, maybe the opposite of Kyle Dubas in that he wants to talk things through and collaborate with everyone, even people that might be higher up on uh, the ladder. Uh, surprise, surprise, Frank, but there's some negativity seeping into the conversation around the NHL as we reach uh, perhaps the final game. Um, just speaking in terms of generalities, would you consider this a good year for the NHL, a bad year for the NHL, just a neutral year? Like, uh, what, do you, what do you just make of, like, the trajectory and whether or not this, this league is having as good of seasons as they could possibly have? It's a really intriguing question, and I'm trying to think back to September and October and everything that's transpired since. Like, what would you consider some of the major milestones when you ask the question? Ooh, that's a that's an even better question in return. Um, oh, what about okay? Here's some like growing fans, um, revenue. Um, <laughs> yeah. Seattle being very successful being in the second successful. season, but they were successful anyway. Reaching new markets. Arizona not Ooh. you know actually dying the death that seems like is inevitable. New superstars becoming a face of 
of the league and maybe having personality and being in vogue. I mean, I, I do think the <laughs> Vegas story is very is a very, very good one. Six years in, they're on the cusp of winning a championship, uh, and they are a model franchise, a money-making franchise, and maybe the most Vegas of all the future Vegas franchises that are going to come in professional sports. I do think that's real, but maybe we're grasping a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, I think when you kind of run through the list, I'm, I'm inclined to think this is actually more positive than maybe it felt, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it kind of felt like a negative and or neutral year. Um, but I don't really have anything to point to. Like, revenue is approaching $6 billion. I think they were projecting 5 6 A couple That's beans a big... left the count, too. <laughs> yeah, well... That's a pretty that's a pretty big nut, so to speak, um, for a league that again, when you exceed it by that kind of total, uh, if that is indeed what happens, it's pretty significant. That's generally the prism with which the league will look at it. Um, there's always like I think one of the things was officiating. I'm never one of those people that is critical of of the officials. I think they've got a tough job and everyone, like no one's happy, but I I think this year in particular, they, it was, they dropped the ball. It was the worst I've ever seen it. Um, And, and I think we saw that highlighted in these playoffs. I think we've seen that highlighted even in this cup final, that ridiculous parade to the penalty box with, uh, Mm. 12 different 10-minute misconducts handed out in one of the games so far this series. And then you you have a game four the other night where there was four total penalty minutes in the entire game, which is the way I like to see the game called, meaning there was one automatic penalty for puck over glass with like 18 seconds left, fine, and then one other stick foul during the entire game. That's the way the cup final and the playoffs should be. It's like, basically, if you're in Florida and you've never watched hockey before and you're at the game and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a penalty, that's the only penalty you should be calling. And other than that, it should be like blood sport. But, I mean, perhaps that's too simplistic of a view. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like there's some some stagnation also that's existed with the NHL that I can't really get past. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if it starts at the top with leadership, but it feels like there's new ground to get to, and it feels like there's more to drum up. And I think they're, they're looking under every rock to try and get there, but they're, it, it almost feels like there's something like in plain sight where the NHL is just not connecting, at least here in the U.S., like no one's even talking about the cup final outside of those two markets. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a must-see television event. There's nothing super intriguing about whatever's going on behind the scenes. Like I just, they're missing that flavor, that juice that you see other things really latch onto, whether it, we've talked before about F1 or Wrexham or whatever it is where it's like something becomes a cultural phenomenon that you can't put down. The NHL, I think has the ability to get there and reach into the mainstream and they just, they haven't done it. And, and I say that not being critical because I also don't have the answer. 
Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I mean, I'm looking at the NBA too right now, and it feels like it's suffering from maybe the same situation where there's a little apathy at least towards the series. But I mean, that's the series, and there's sometimes you can't really get, uh, you know, you can't really avoid that. Uh, but if they're leaning. Uh, exclusively on the processes that actually feed them talent, well, maybe next year will be a big year because Connor Bedard and those big forearms uh, come into the NHL next year. Frank, we... Uh, big forearms? How about those quads? Yeah, everything's... He's jacked. Everything seems to be rather large for Connor Bedard. Oh. Don't go there. Oh. Uh, clip, clip, clip that. Yeah, clip it. <laughs> don't go there. Uh, let's uh, let you go because we kept you way too long. Uh, Frank, we appreciate it, though. Uh, thanks again for coming on, uh, and we'll talk next week. Have a great week, guys. That's Frank Cervelli, NHL insider, president of hockey content, dailyfaceoff.com, owner of a Conn Smythe vote. Okay, so I did go and place, while I was listening to Frank. I may have as well. A bet on Jack Heichel. It's pretty crazy. If Elliot Friedman, Frank Cervelli, and others are are just, you know, saying the word Jack Eichel mm-hmm. and Conn Smythe together, why would you not think a plus 2,000 I'm seeing at some places, even plus 2,100 in some places. Yeah, I was going to mention this in the wake and rake, um, but Friedman on Sportsnet Central said after game four mm-hmm. that uh, he was leaning, or at least that was the first name that came out of his mouth. I don't want to misquote Fridge, uh, that he was, you know, Eichel was definitely top of mind for him. Top of mind for Frank. These are two of the main heavy hitters, most influence, influential guys Just in saying. the sport in terms of the people that will be voting. Uh, so plus 2,000 on Eichel doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world right now. I mean, it's certainly something to chew on. Let's do that. It's time for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. There's a, a lot we're going to go through for winners and losers, which we do every Monday morning at 730. But this is this gets its own platform, okay? Lots of great moments in sports history this past weekend. And uh, one of them happened to be Novak Djokovic. Mm-hmm. who has now done something even more impressive to add to his Hall of Fame career. This defeated Casper Ruud in the French Open final to win his 23rd Grand Slam title, the most ever now by a male tennis player. He stands atop the list of best ever. We're going to always have the debate of the GOAT, the GOAT, the GOAT, but he passes Nadal for most decorated singles competitor of all time with his win. The big match against Alcaraz and him went the way of the wise, mm-hmm. wily vet. I actually didn't see what happens there. I kind of got a little. Yeah, kind of uh, just. Yeah, kind of. I think Alcaraz got a little banged up though. Yeah, it was just Djokovic. Either way, time. I don't. I don't want to take anything from Djokovic. I am kind of a Djokovic hater, but you have to give him credit. And it sucks that Nadal yeah. wasn't there. <laughs> it sucks that the you know the clay court genius that is Rafael Nadal couldn't play, and that he may not be a threat ever to Djokovic again. But Djokovic has some. He still has life to him. He can win a few more. He could set a mark that no one's touching. And I don't know, maybe we would have said that before, but yeah, this it's been three guys over the last little while that have dominated this. Two of them have fallen by the wayside here with Federer retiring and Nadal like endlessly injured, at least it seems. If he plays two more seasons. Djokovic still looks like a young guy. Mm -hmm. If he plays two more seasons, let's just say that. How old is he now? 36? 36. I mean, he's getting there, but he still doesn't look 36. He doesn't look to the part of a guy who's on the... On the, like, not back nine, but final hole. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look like that yet. Good time to be nicknamed the Joker and from Serbia. Serbia is having a moment. As producer Daniele wrote on this piece I'll of paper, get, uh, and I got to give him credit for my that. My biggest winners might be Serbia just in general. Serbia is having a moment. Yeah. Let's look at uh, 
look at our winners and losers after the break. And we're taking your thoughts at 595.90. We're putting last night's victory by Nick Taylor, the, the triple OT walk-off 70-plus putt on your Mount Rushmore of Canadian sports moments of all time, whether that's individual, whether that's team sports, where does it rank for you? Is there something bigger? Is there something it's tied with? If you're going to, you're going to pick your favorite Canadian sports moments, where does yesterday's incredible feat place? We'll obviously have that in winners and losers after the break. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Justin and Ailish. A Monday morning where you're a little bit more proud to be Canadian. Maybe you're wearing a little red and white. I'm wearing my... New RBC Canadian Open shirt. Yeah, yeah. I'm all swagged you, out. You had a merch tent. Buddy, the biggest winners the merch might be tent. the merch people. <laughs> might be the the company I won't name that made all the the merch. Man, the second you saw me, we got to the Canadian Open, and I was like, "Where's the merch tent? You're like Where a was dog the first on place a bone went? when it merch comes tent. It's actually crazy. You got in there, and you're like, I. To like survive the rest of the day, my credit card needs to be used. I had like and an just itch like, that I needed to scratch, yes, and I and purchased... then it happened twice. Okay, well that was. You didn't need to bring that up. It happened twice. I went and got a sweet visor. I've always wanted to, to be able to rock a visor on the golf course. Now I have a Canadian open visor mm-hmm. and it's swaggy. I almost bought that penny, the the caddy penny. I think that was the I think that was the best item in there. The, the, the you could you I could know. get a Nick Taylor on the back. I could have and I dropped the ball. But I didn't. I got this nice what is this like a long sleeve dry fit? It's a golf shirt. Yeah, long sleeve golf shirt, it's I good. guess. It's good cold. It's like rainy and cold every day now, so I kind of need it. Yeah. Anyway, the merch tent, big winners. I was like slamming the merch tent. I'm like, really? Are we, I don't know, Canadian Open, are they going to have good stuff? And it like was everything sick. in there was awesome. I honestly could have yeah. spent $1,000. Mm-hmm. I wanted a bucket hat so bad, and they were already sold out. That place was getting like. I showed you there was some more. I got a visor, and I'm you happy got a, about you already it. had your visor. Wait yeah. till this week when we right. do our weekly golf. I'm fully. I'm fully wearing that. I guess we're going to go to Oakdale. I'm going to be... That would mean I'd go to Oakdale if they want us there. Anyway, winner's merch tent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think we have to start with, once again, recapping the winners of golf, which sure. was Nick Taylor, of course. But Canada, Canada Golf, the RBC Canadian Open. Crawdaddy. Crawdaddy, major winner. The PGA, in general, kind of skirting a lot of conversation about live this week, like... When was the last time you heard the word live on Tuesday when it all came out? And then it was fully, you were just in the PGA, in the Canadian storyline. It really helped that a Canadian one. Just winners, winners, winners all around the next generation. I saw so many people mm-hmm. on my timeline and my friends that don't watch golf really dialed into this too. Like I, I, it's, It was really cool to see that it felt like our country was watching this moment together it's a tournament that gets beat up a little bit it gets forgotten it's get it gets passed over and it's one of the oldest on tour it's it's it it lost a little bit of its prestige it lost a little bit of its luster it's had some bad bounces it's had some bad bounces but it like it won't you can't kill it because the last three have been remarkable Mm -hmm. not remarkable i don't know what remarkable rory winning back-to-back is remarkable but that's who you want winning your golf tournaments that's who you want representing your brand, leading the flag, and, and coming back every year. But this is a moment that overshadows everything else that we've seen before. And it's a, it's a, another launch point. It's another 
opportunity to grow this tournament specifically mm-hmm. and hopefully more Canadians come up from the grassroots and get there to make this tournament even be- bigger and better every year. But hopefully it attracts more uh, golfers. And I-, I was thinking about Netflix. I don't, I don't see any Netflix cameras. Yeah, but we didn't see them. Not, they not that we're going us. to. But like, don't you think... <laughs> This will be a chapter. Like, I don't know if they've been following Nick Taylor around, but if they're there, are you going to see a better moment all year in golf than a 72 foot putt for Eagle in a fourth playoff hole and getting that reaction? I don't think you're going to see a better moment outside of a major. uh, If there's indeed a moment that he can even, you know, compare when we get to the bigger tournaments. So that's, yeah, it was a really, really huge moment for Canadian golf. The RBC Canadian open for Nick Taylor for uh, golfers in this country who are, at that level and trying to get to that level. It's very, very important. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a great Canadian moment. Um, we have so many texts in. I might just sprinkle a few in here before we move off of the winner of Canada Golf because they're really special to hear from listeners. Jimmy from Niagara Falls. Good morning. Am I out of line to say what Nick Taylor did yesterday trumps Mike Weir's victory at Augusta? I was screaming at the TV as if I was at Oakdale, or if Nick was a good friend, he won Canada's championship when he sank that bomb. I burst into tears with sheer mm-hmm. admiration for his accomplishment. If a golfer makes me cry because of a victory, he deserves the key to the nation. Thank you for reading. I think two things can be true here. I think that ultimately Weir's accomplishment is greater, but Nick Taylor's moment was greater. Mm. And I don't remember how Weir won, maybe a little too young to like really, really be dialed in and was remember. It, 2003? And it was 2003. It was 2003. Um, but I don't think you could ever like trump exactly what we saw with the dramatics and the reaction. Not everyone was on Mike Weir's side. Everyone at that the golf whole tournament, country. aside from Tommy Fleetwood mm-hmm. and his caddy, were on the <laughs> side of Nick Taylor. And I think it's maybe a moment versus an accomplishment. And it's choose your own adventure. W- what do you prefer, a moment or an accomplishment? I think a green jacket will always trump an RBC Canadian Open. That is against the greatest field in golf yeah. at the time. Uh, but I don't I don't think you can have many better moments in golf, period. One more before we pick some more winners and losers. It's a Corey from Port Hope here. Uh, you couldn't have scripted that Canadian Open any better yesterday. Taylor winning, the crowd, the atmosphere, the tackle of Hadwin, all of it. I think the best thing about it, though, was that it had the attention of the entire golf world. Everyone was talking about the Ryder Cup and major like atmosphere, and even when the big stars weren't playing this week, they were tweeting about the chaos. Overall, it put the Canadian Open back on the map, and I think the field for next year's Canadian Open might have a lot more big names of that atmosphere because of the success of this year's tournament. Couldn't agree more. I did like that. It felt like even the golfers that had foregone this tournament were dialed, cared about it, were tweeting about it, and maybe that does change for next year. Maybe they want to be there. Like mm-hmm. I know it's it's three years in a row with some great theater. This one will probably be the most memorable in a long time, but if it starts to grow that maybe a couple of these guys want to come over, then please <laughs> yeah. come on over. And, and 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 this is another opportunity to like continue to advance this tournament, right? Mm-hmm. How can we make it better? How can we do more? How can we attract more? Uh, you know, the, the, the golf landscape is changing. I don't know if Dustin Johnson's coming back, but he used to be the guy who that's would right. wave the flag a little bit for this Kinda tournament lost that sponsorship. as an RBC guy, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> things have changed, uh, just a little bit. So it was a big golf weekend in Canada, also a big MMA weekend in mm. Canada. Uh, UFC 289 went down and I don't know if you've heard of any of these. They're not exactly household names, but Canada went six and zero at the event. And maybe I, I wasn't, I don't, I wasn't expecting that. Actually, bet against a couple of them, but I'll name them because if you go six and zero and you represent Canada the way they did, they deserve to be named. Diana Belbita, Kyle Nelson, Eamon Zahabi, Jasmine Jastavicius, Mark Andre Barrio, and Mike Malott. It's all one in Vancouver, UFC wow. two eighty nine, and I got some sound from Malott because I think 
not only did he triumph in his fight, but he triumphed on the mic as well. So if you can go to that now, Mike Malott after his win at two, UFC 289. Being able to represent my country on the world stage at home. That's been a dream of mine since I was a little kid pumping my legs on swing sets. This has been in my mind for 30 years. I can't believe I finally got to do this. But you know what? There's no damn way I wasn't holding down the fort tonight. I was the last Canadian. I gotta protect the house. We can run with anybody in the world, Canadians. We're the best country in the world. Nobody's slowing down on a Maple Leaf militia. So I think Nick wow. Taylor Nick Taylor was watching the fights the night before. That got was me a fired inspired, up. Right? We're going right? to run through a brick wall. And, and they say, like, it, it's really important the fight, but also important what you do after the fight in the UFC because you're trying to market yourself. And him being the guy that's like, hey, I'm going to make sure Canada's back. I'm the guy who's going to be the best Canadian out there. I'm going to be the guy representing this country. I think that's a brilliant move on his part because Canada hasn't had a good fighter since George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre hasn't fought in a long time. So if this guy, Mike Malad, who has a brother who is a professional hockey player, by the way, so quite a talented family. But if he can, wow. uh, if he can you know, grow, he was in the third last fight. So he's on a main card, got an easy win. If he can grow, become a star in Canada, those moments on the mic after you win in the octagon, very, very important. So I think he nailed his post-fight interview. Definite winner this weekend. Okay. Um, I love that. That was A-list worthy. There you go. You're killing it. Um, okay. My winner is kind of, uh, we're in the Venn diagram section. Okay. The Blue Jays were not major winners this weekend. Uh, Kevin Biggio helped maybe salvage a little bit of what was a, going to be potentially a sweep until his late three-run homer in the eighth. But an uncharacteristic Gosman start is where I'm going with this. Um, four runs in the first inning. Two more. Kevin Gosman will lose Hold on. Venn diagram. Okay. He had a, he's my fave. Remember, I have claimed it. My favorite baseball player. But... After the game, we hear a little bit of information that Gosman's sitting in the trainer's room sipping a beer during the Blue Jays' rally. He's calling them rally beers. I mean, who hasn't had a rally beer? Or like a shower beer, you know? And he's, he, yeah, you've heard of a shower beer? <laughs> I mean, beer? I've heard of it, but just rally and shower, but well, bit like, different. You know, sometimes you're rallying in the shower. Okay. <laughs> like, Why before you, be you go out. Okay, okay. I'm not talking about okay, okay, anyway. okay, okay, So he's okay, having okay. a rally beer, and it starts to work and then he cracks another rally oh. beer. And so he he's, you know, maybe part of this story. So rally beer is maybe a new thing to keep an eye on. Superstitious guy. He cracked another one. Biggio gets a home run. The Blue Jays win. And they needed to win. And surprisingly enough, this story comes across my timeline that's somewhat related that I wanted to bring up. It's kind of A-list worthy. Um, I sent the clip over to Josh, but... We've had him on the show, AJ Pierzynski, I believe sometime in our history, we've had him on the show, me and you, or either that or it was with JD. Yeah. Um, he's got the Foul Territory show and he's talking about his time with the White Sox when they were in the World Series. And <laughs> there's a Blue Jays connection and a beer connection somehow randomly the same day that the Kevin Gosman story comes out. So let's play this clip from Foul Territory. Listen, as a former player, starting pitchers, they used to drink. During the game, yeah, it wasn't like one dude. I remember, listen, 2005 White Sox. I mean, Mark Burley pitched in the World Series drunk, came in and got a save. He was drunk, <laughs> like, he was full drunk on the, start days. Guys were drinking, no, no, not on start days, just no. clarifying for everyone, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. not on start days, but yes. on you, you would see a guy in, in the dugout, they'd have a cup. And there was usually an adult beverage in it. Mm -hmm. They were starting pitchers. They had no chance in the American League to get in the game. So they were like, what else are you going to do for four hours sitting there? 
I mean, he's got a point, but throws Mark Burley under the bus. Apparently came in, pitched a game in the World Series. He said, quote, full drunk and recorded a save. I don't know. Just crazy stuff. But Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, like some of these podcasts, they go, they're go, they going, you know, trying to get viral, going a little bit past the pale. But the, I will say. I mean, you wouldn't say it about your teammate if it's not true. Mark Burley's going to be like, excuse me? Yeah, maybe not. But starting pitchers, when they're like getting together and they're hanging out and they're watching, especially when the guy, they're. Uh, their, you know, mm-hmm. their running mate is doing well out there. They're always so happy. It's like, yeah, you, you could be, you could Good convince team. me that there are a couple of we'll beers have in an those eyes cups. On it. All right. Um, I will stick with baseball. Actually, I got one more with big audio winners and losers. I today. got another audio clip. Wow. Okay, let's go to John Sterling because John Sterling is the <laughs> legendary radio voice of the New York Yankees. Been there forever. Has seen everything in Major League Baseball. But what I bet he hasn't had happen to him actually happened to him over the weekend. John Sterling with one of the most, we'll call it gutsy, gritty Uh, performances in radio history. Let's go to that now. Now the 3-2 swung on, a pop foul back here. Ow! 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 It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. So once again, it'll be a 3-2. And Holmes ready to deal. A ground ball to third. Donaldson squares, throws to first in time. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. Uh, if you wanted to know what it sounded like when Ailish spilled coffee on herself this morning, it was that exact thing. <laughs> that, ow, ow. It actually went. That's it exactly, exactly what it sounded like. But like he was. So there's video of this. He's looking up, and then it hits the table in front of him. It hits him, like, square in the face. I know. This didn't hit, like, the back and hit him on right the back. Right by his orbital bone. It just, it clocked him. And he he said, ow, and he was, like, derailed for, like, two seconds. Okay, and then he just the kept grind. going. It was unbelievable. You could never. You got your eye contact was all fuzzy the other day. You ran you, the whole interview. And you were so off the rails, blowing into your little contact lens you could you almost had to take a sick day uh yeah and you didn't get a ball in the face so we could only dream to be as tough I, as i'm him. surprised there wasn't blood coming out of his nose it was definitely like a little red right here on his face though and he's an old guy yeah but he, he's a I legend mean, he's a legend and he powered through um okay <laughs> i got another one here uh more audio charles barkley Mm. gets on the mic with uh, our very own Kyle Bukowskis on game four, the Santa Cup final. I love when those two interact and <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, and Kyle's just chat with him and, and Charles has a little side tidbit story that we've got to play. The last one for you then on that. Who's... No, I got to tell you okay. something. All right. <laughs> so yesterday I was at the hotel. I walked up to Jack Eichel and said how great he was. I think he had zero idea who I was. <laughs> I did. He was at the hotel. We sat at the same hotel. I said, hey, Mr. Eichel, it's an honor. You're a great player. But he looked at me like, who the hell are you? It was pretty funny. <laughs> Imagine not knowing who Charles Barkley is. I can, I can actually, like, si- not sympathize because there's no way Jack Eichel would have known who I was. But I've talked to him before and, like, interviewed him at a rink. And he doesn't look at you. It's like he's, like, ignoring you. But he's also talking to you. Very eloquently. It's very he is strange. very eloquent. He's like gave me a great answer, but did not look at me maybe once. Maybe he doesn't like eye contact. So maybe he's, yeah, maybe he's not an eye contact guy. That I'm is sure so he knows funny. who Charles Barkley well, is. Well, Charles Barkley left thinking he didn't. That could be your future Con Smythe winner. Could be. There you go. Uh, I'm going to go to the... I got to do my like weekly soccer report. Here we go. So uh, Manchester City won, won the Champions League. Uh, first ever UCL title. 
for a team that's probably been the favorite to win for the better part of the last decade. So a big like monkey off the back moment for Manchester City. They also won the league title in FA Cup, so they win the treble. They're the best. Best in Europe for sure. But like Messi was crowned, hey, it's the last accomplishment at the World Cup, right? You can now say you're the best ever. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same thing for Manchester City's manager, Pep Guardiola. It was his third Champions League uh, victory, but doing it as Manchester City boss was like, hey, oh, you're now the greatest of all time. So it's big year for soccer goats. You can go Messi as the player, Pep Guardiola as manager after winning the Champions League. Okay, since we mentioned Novak Djokovic, we have to mention the winner on the other side, and she just continues to win. Uh, Igis Fiantec, four Grand Slam trophies so far, including three at uh, the French Open. She just has been the number one world ranking since, I believe, last April. So she just continues to win, and it wasn't very competitive. Um, her and Djokovic kind of sweeping the podium there and being the GOAT's or on the conversation to the goat that mm. she is already in her young career. Um, I got a loser. Should we rapid fire losers here? Yes. The Miami Heat mascot. Really? I'm going Conor McGregor. Tell the story. Well, they're both losers. Yeah. Conor McGregor does this promotional stunt during uh, game four of, this, of the NBA series on Friday night. And he's pun- he punches the Heat mascot, Bernie, in the face multiple times, I believe. Bernie had to was dragged off the floor by the heat staffers, but it's kind of like part of the the shtick. But he had to go to the hospital. He had to go to the emergency room to receive treatment and pain medication. So I don't really know if he was diagnosed with anything other than getting punched in the face by Conor McGregor. And it seemed like maybe you just went too hard or maybe he thought maybe I could get a little moolah from this but yeah. anyway losers connor did hit him pretty hard uh, yeah he I, I don't know out. i just don't know how much like padding him connor probably doesn't know but people are like breaking down this like oh, connor connor was seeing red connor thought okay, he was in a fight it was just relax. like relax all right let's just yeah let's just tone it down a little bit uh a loser zion williamson you got to look it up to know oh why my god big time dalton varsho a loser because whenever you can put it's like a friendly loser but there was like a montage of him barely missing home run saving mm, catches and when you can actually have one team create a highlight package of you hitting the wall falling and the home run still goes over kind of loser t- category but if you're doing, like, the karma, if you believe in karma, the Blue Jays losing both their pride games after how they handled everything uh, with Anthony Bass, it might make sense, and they're losers over the weekend for what was a pretty disappointing weekend. We didn't even talk about that much, but this was a team where we talked about making hay, right? You lose two of three, mm-hmm. get bailed out by Kevin Vigio, late game situational stuff, fails you Friday, the whole experiment with the starter and going to the bullpen eventually catches up to you on Saturday. It wasn't a great weekend for the Toronto Blue Jays on and off the field. So they'll be in the loser category for me. Yeah. And Anthony Bass, a loser for being DFA'd and that made his, no way he's going to play baseball. So. And objectively, having numbers that do not befit a major leaguer. Uh, one last one, a winner, Connor Bedard, who at the NHL scouting combine not only is going to be the best player we've seen in a very long time, but he's fit and he's jacked. Mm-hmm. He's like a littler guy. He measured in at 5'9 and 185 pounds and was joking, saying, I really wanted to hit 5'10. I was close. Like, thought he would like, he was like seven, like 0.75. So he was mm-hmm. very close. Um, but winner because he set the most amount of pull ups 
of the weekend. 14 of them. Pretty impressive. His arms are, he's jacked. Like this, this kid is obviously immensely talented. Uh, but some guys show up to these scouting combines like, mm-hmm. oh, you're, you know, you're obviously a great hockey player. Didn't but Sam Bennett was unable doing... to do one chin up? He was injured though. It was kind of like not really well, fair. Well, look at him now. But yeah, and he's a monster. All in uh, landing. But Connor Bedard kind of would have the excuse, oh, do I need to be the best at, at uh, bench press? No, you don't, but you are anyway. So that says something about his character, I guess. Um, winners, not us, losers because of our triple bogey at the score. <laughs> the, the opposite of winners. At the whole zero that we went to. Um, yeah. But winner me for picking Nick Taylor plus 6,600 and now taking a monster lead in the Fanex Cup standings. So you, I just had Nick, to make sure that was in the second hour of the show. It'll also be in the third hour of the show. Right. Uh, you, Nick, and local security, big winners at the RBC <laughs> Canadian Open. Adam Hadwin, a winner, maybe Venn Diagram. He looked like he no, was okay, though. No, he's a though. winner. He's a winner. But imagine he got hurt and, like, couldn't play in play a couple US tournaments. Open, he'd be suing security. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, Canada, huge winners um, all Canadians weekend don't long. Canadians do they? No, he'd probably apologize. A big winner, Adam Stanley, who got to experience it all this weekend, is going to join us on the other side of the break. Sports Night golf writer and analyst. And he got to chat with the champ, Nick Taylor, post-win yesterday. So let's break it all down with Adam Stanley.